our scripture reference today on my uh, smart board. I found out that smart boards are really only as smart as the user. So maybe, maybe they're not named correctly. Uh, actually, as I'm teaching uh, college at Southeastern, uh, they provided for me this wonderful classroom of all this high-tech uh, uh, instrumentation and have the newest smart board available. And I'm telling you, the board is smarter than I am, and I am, I am on a massive learning curve. This, this smart board has some years on it, and of course it does what we need it to do for us, but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying learning the new smart board technology that they have, and uh, all the bells and whistles and things you can do on it is quite interesting. So anyway, we are in our House Hunter series. And we're going to continue to do this because I believe there are some things that the Lord wants to share with us. It will be unusual, and uh, if you're with us and you've not been a part of this whole series, I don't know, I'm in the sixth or seventh message in the series. So let me give you just sort of a quick, a quick intro review. Uh, I just believe God is looking for a house. And he's just not looking for any house, much like you or I, perhaps, if we were in the market to purchase a home place to live, that we just aren't going to take any place. You're just not going to live in any four walls, but that you have certain ideas, certain maybe uh, expectations, certain qualifications as to what it is you would want to live in. And of course, all of that surrounds a budget for us in the natural, because maybe we would all like to live in these incredible mansions, uh, but our budget isn't going to uh, maintain that sort of a, a home. Now, here's the thing about the Lord. The Lord has no budget. I, I mean, he, there's nothing that he cannot do or anything he could not provide. But the fact of the matter is, he's not just looking for opulence or he's not just looking for aesthetics or any of these sorts of matters, but he's looking for a people whose heart is towards him in a certain way. And, and so this whole house hunter series was birthed out of just my observation that the days we are living in here in 21st century America, I just think at some level without being just kind of this old curmudgeon, I just think sometimes we get church wrong. And, and we're not throwing stones at anybody in particular, although at times we have to give illustrations in order to kind of demonstrate some of the things we're talking about. But in America, how we do church and how church is done all over the globe can look vastly different. And perhaps the reason why God moves in China and why God moves in Africa or why God moves in Central America or, or why God moves in uh, the Middle East or other areas, it could well be that the people there uh, have an understanding or a heart that maybe we've lost here in America. And so I, I want to suggest that God's looking for a house and I want to suggest that we should be the house and I want to suggest that, that there may be a day that you're looking for a house. And that you need to understand that you need to look for what God's looking for. And if we do that, it's amazing, I think, what he could do in our lives and through that local church. So we've called this series our house hunting series. And my assumption today, as I share with you, teach, is that we want what God wants. Because sometime in your life, and this is statistically true for everyone in the building, it's for all of us, sometime in your life, 
You're going to be looking for a church. Someone's going to be asking you about a church. You're going to have children as they get older. They're going to want input as to where they may need to go to church. You're going to have a next door neighbor that comes to town and you're going to be visiting with them out in the front on your driveways and they're going to be asking about church. You're going to have all sorts of ways that you're going to look at people and you may be transferred in a job and you're going to be looking for a church. And, and, the, and the question is, what do you look for in a church? What is God looking for in a church? And we need to see what he says. How do you evaluate whether or not you have found one? You know, it's interesting. It's been interesting to me through the years. And I say this all the time. And the reason I say this is, is because I just want you to know there's, there's some mileage behind this. But I pastored for 35 years now. I was born again when I was 18 years old. I'm 59. I'm headed towards 60. So, you know, this is my 41st year ostensibly of walking with the Lord. I'm grateful for the empowerment and grace. I'm not saying there haven't been ups and downs. I'm not saying there haven't been moments that I haven't copped an attitude with the Lord or in life or committed a sin of omission. But inasmuch as he has given me grace, I have endeavored to walk uh, my relationship out with the Lord in integrity. And uh, all of these years, uh, just walking in church life and, and being a pastor, it is interesting to me that with few exceptions, uh, most folks, let's say they're moving, they're being transferred to a new city. Uh, maybe uh, they've just recently come to a new city. Most folks, when they're looking for where they want to land by way of living, they'll figure out, am I buying a house in the right school district? Because how many of you know if you're moving, you want to get your kids in the right school district, right? So we ask those questions. Do I, do I, do I have a house that's in the right school district? If I'm going to buy this house, is it going to have a good resale possibility? Because, you know, maybe I get transferred again or I may want to move again. So is there resale possibilities and what, what's the resale like? We'll look around at our neighbors. I don't know if you do this or not, but when I, I bought several homes in my lifetime, do my neighbors mow the lawn? You know, do they pick up the lawn? Uh, do they edge their lawn? For me, it's, does a neighborhood have curbs and sidewalks? If you're in the upstate, you can go into great neighborhoods, but it's like your lawn just grows into the road. And that really bothers me. So I want curbs. I want a sidewalk. That's just my expectation if I'm going to live in a neighborhood. And uh, they want to know, is there a shopping center nearby? Is there a place to shop? Can I, uh, can I get to work easily? Can I access an interstate? Think of all the questions that get asked when you want to find your home. But I find it interesting that it is rarely considered before making a move what church you might attend. Rarely. I've looked at people for years that have been transferred and I'll ask them this question because a lot of times they'll go out and spy the land and do all of these things and I'll ask them the question, have you ever even considered that there would be a local church there that would be appropriate for you to attend? And here's our thought process. I know the thought process. Well, certainly, you can Google and there are 10,000 churches. Surely there would be at least one that would be right for me. And that's not even on our radar as to where we might gather. It's more important that our kids get to the right school system than it is for us to process whether or not I get to the right church. I don't know 
if any of you ever watch John Chris, you ever watch those John Chris videos? He's hilarious. You ought, you ought to watch his videos. He does satire. And he's, he's done satire on millennials looking for churches. And it's the funniest thing. I, sh I, should, I wish we had the capacity to run that because just running that would be convicting as you see how people choose churches. They want churches with a certain look. They want churches with a certain style. They want churches with the parking lot. They want churches that don't look old school. They want, I mean, I mean, the name has to be right. And you know what we're all going through in the era we're going through. It used to be that, 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 you know, there were churches that had very standardized names, even denominational churches. And now we have churches with all kinds of names. Even our own is called Legacy Church. But, but we're used to that. You're used to Bridge Church. Um... You know, I'm just thinking of all the different church. Ignite Church. I'm not, I'm just picking these off the top of my head. You know, Edgy Church. I saw one the other day. It was called Guts Church. I, I, I mean, you don't want to, you don't know whether to laugh, take it serious. Is it a spook? But it really is a Guts Church. I mean, you, you must really have to have something to go to the church like that. A Guts Church. So anyway, all of these, all of these things have been going through my mind which has led me, and I know this seems strange, but just bear with me, because you need to write this down, because you're going to need it sometime in your life, and it may be something you could slip to someone else at a time, because we're studying ecclesiology, that's the big word, the study of the church and the study of the practice of the church, and I've just entitled this message, Seven Questions I Would Ask If I Were Looking for a Church, because nobody ever asks any question, but seven questions I would ask if I were looking for a church. Now let's read some scripture because it's never really a message, is it, until pastor reads the Bible. So Revelation chapter 3, there were seven churches in those early chapters of the book of the Revelation. And here in chapter 3, we're getting to the church of Philadelphia. And uh, let's just read what he had to say, the Lord had to say to this local church, and then I want to pull in the other churches for just a moment as well. But let's read uh, this he says unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things says he who is holy who is true he who has the key of David he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens if you ever want to know where those open doors and closed doors come from that's the passage where it comes from I know your works see I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you've kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Isn't this a good word? Wouldn't you be glad if you were going to the church of Philadelphia? Amen. Because the Lord says, I'm liking what I'm seeing here. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Now, there are going to be seven questions that I'm going to eventually ask here. But before we get to these seven questions, I want to talk just a little bit about these seven churches. The seven churches of Revelation, which if you'll study them, five were systemically or at their root compromised. And one, apparently, was teetering. Uh, but then there was this one, the church at Philadelphia, which the Lord says was faithful 
and true. So Jesus is looking at all of these churches and the things that struck me was the fact that Jesus can begin to see through it all. He sees through all the facade. He sees through all that's going on. He sees right to the core of who they are. And he says over and over again, several things, especially to the five that are uh, not doing, performing, or being that which they say they are. He says several things. He says to the church, he says, repent. I want to say this very quickly. If anyone ever tells you that once you're born again, that you don't need to repent anymore, all you have to do is take them to five of the churches in the book of the Revelation. These are churches that Jesus is calling to repent. That's the first thing I might say. But the second thing I want to say with regards to this is that he looks at them and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And to the Laodicean church, which is the seventh of all the churches. In fact, oftentimes people have interpreted the Laodicean church to be the church of the last days. In other words, and, and again, we're not just talking about America. We can talk about this globally, that there are many who uh, see the church, Laodicean church as an image or a prototype of the last day's church, which is highly compromised with regards to what it is doing in the earth and in the world. And he says to the Laodicean church, he says, anoint your eyes that you may see with eye salve. And so he's saying that there's something that needs to happen in this last day's Laodicean church that we need to get an eye salve on us that we can begin to see what he sees and understand what he understands in order that we might want what he wants. So the question is, how do we do that? How do you find a church which can hear God and see the times? And so I'm going to give you seven questions. How do I identify uh, something that God would say, uh, this is a church that would please me? I grew up, you know my age now, but I grew up in the, I went to high school in the 70s. I graduated high school in 1977, and my, and my joke is back, you know, when there were rotary phones and, you know, CB radios. The biggest thrill was to get a CB radio in your vehicle. Anybody else have a CB radio in their vehicle? I mean, I had 23 channels, but it was like, you know, you could go to 44 then, and it was just CBs. We thought that was cool. Anyway, I graduated from high school in 77 and obviously went on to school in the 80s, but uh, we only had on television, like we lived in a metropolitan area, so we had three regular channels and we had one UHF channel. People are shaking their heads. Some of, the, some of you young adults, you can't even imagine only having four channels at your disposal, and that was it, four channels. You know, you know we got, I don't know, we have, we have 500 channels plus Netflix and Hulu. I mean, there's got to be 10,000 things you can watch at any particular moment. And now you got TVs that'll, you know, spring up different boxes so you can watch about six things at once. <laughs> as, as if I could keep up. So you only had three major channels and the UHF channel always looked real sandy. In fact, we, we, we'd put aluminum foil on the antenna so we could get the signal in better. My dad had this, my dad had this tress, trestle or whatever you call it that went up the side of the house that had the TV antennas on it. And we'd get yelled at when we climbed that thing because that thing had to be at least 20, 30 feet high. You know what I'm talking about. You see, you're smiling because you were climbing those things too. Right? But we would get this show 
produced by Dick Clark that was called, you know what it was called? American Bandstand. You remember that? American Bandstand. And he would play all the newest music and the kids obviously would, would be dancing and there'd be, you know, he'd have bands in and all this kind of stuff. And it was kind of popular to watch American Bandstand. The funniest thing about American Bandstand was they would have the kids at one point in the show come up and rate a record. They had rate a record. So those of you that are old enough may remember this. Anna, you don't remember this, do you? No, you didn't. Well, I didn't think you. You can go to YouTube and, and look this up if this interests you. But they would rate a record. And remember, the record would flip over. There'd be two songs they'd have to rate. And they'd usually get a, a young man and a young girl, and they'd rate a record, and they'd play this tune. And it could eventually become a real hit. I just remember rate a record. I used to laugh every week because I could predict how they would evaluate the record. Every time he would play the record, and they would rate it, and they'd say, do you like the record? Yes. He'd hand the microphone, yes. And they'd say, well, what was good about it? And this is what every time they would say this. You know, yes, yeah, see, I even some, you know what they used to say. It had a good beat. And what? You can dance to it. That's exactly right. See, every time, every kid, every week, he would do this. They could just run a replay of one set of young adults, and it would have been the same thing every week. Because that's how they evaluate, that's all they evaluate. They didn't evaluate, they didn't care about the lyrics. They didn't care about anything else. It's just it had a good beat and you could dance to it. Now, I want to suggest to you, and again, we're not trying to be critical. I mean, we're not, how many of you know that there's a difference between discernment and, and, and criticalness? Now, there's a, there's a line there. Criticalness is when you're just wanting to throw stones and beat on things just for, just for the sake of beating on it or being argumentative. I mean, there are those that would just want to be argumentative for the sake of soliciting an argument. I mean, they, they, they get a buzz off that or a jazz off that. So I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that, that we want to have a critical spirit. And I think we know the difference between a critical spirit, but, but there is an appropriate level of discernment because you don't want to be the garbage disposal that just sucks in anything and everything that comes your way. Otherwise, why would the Bible say to test the spirits? Why would it say things like that we're to be discerning of the era and the age and the time? I mean, the Bible speaks to us in several ways about, about an appropriate uh, spirit-led, I guess you'd call it caution or discernment. It's the best word. It's, it's an evaluation that you must have so you're just not sucking anything into your spiritual system because we are living in an era with the blessing of technology being that, that you can access millions of bits of information. You can access messages and sermons and church services and even here in, in our small venue, uh, you're on Facebook Live or you're on YouTube and people can access what Pastor Baird is saying and, and it really is a responsibility. It should be a responsibility but for many, it's an opportunity to disseminate sometimes fairly significant error. And while not every error will necessarily undermine your faith and not every error would, ne uh, error would necessarily uh, cause one to forfeit or be deceived in their salvation, there is error that can cause you to be a train wreck. And, and so there has to be a way that we can begin 
to develop discernment. And the only way I know to do that is to begin to know how to ask certain questions. Now again, I'm not saying you have to ask questions of everybody or you have to quiz someone else. Or if you're looking for a church or you sit down and you have to quiz the pastor. I'm not saying that. But you, you need to quiz yourself inside so that you can filter certain things in the air we're living in. And so that's what we're going to do. These are the seven questions uh, that I would ask if I were looking. The first question is this. Is this church orthodox? Or the translation to that is, is this house doctrinally sound? Now, it doesn't have to necessarily agree with me and all my viewpoints, but there are certain things that it needs to be what we call orthodox. Orthodox means basically that which is sound or that which has been established or that which has been accepted through even the years as we've begun to understand uh, God's word and God's revelation to us. For example, I'm going to write, I just wrote a few things down here. Um, are you sure you're not attending a cult? <laughs> Now, there's a difference between a sociological cult and a theological cult. A sociological cult could have good doctrine, but it's just, it's just, it's cult-like uh, in its adherence. I'm talking at this point about a theological cult, which means that it has an inappropriate view of Jesus. It, it, it does not understand the Godhead in some form or salvation. In some of the essentials, something is amiss. And again, we're not used to this because we just don't do it in our era, but there are groups, and I'll give you a group. For instance, the Church of Latter-day Saints, or what we call as Mormons, that is a theological cult. Why is that a theological cult? It's because they teach, they don't tell you this out loud at first, but they teach things like, Jesus' brother was the devil. Now, we got a problem here. All right, just that is enough of a problem. There's other issues the baptizing for the dead can be an issue. Uh, some of the areas of little gods is an issue. I'm just using one group. But you've got to understand whether or not the group is orthodox. And you find its orthodoxness within its view of Jesus. How do they view Jesus? Well, let's start here. Is the Bible its final authority? Are these 66 books the final authority in the life of the local church? Um, is the book inspired? Um, is it infallible? Are they doing, you know, what they need to do in order to rightly understand it? Another one might be, is God triune? We believe that God is Trinity. There were great battles that existed in the history of the church over the, the triuneness of God. Is he three in one? I know, you know, it was Augustine that said, uh, I believe he said, uh, 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 to, believe, to believe in the Trinity uh, uh, is to lose your mind, but to disbelieve in the Trinity is to lose your soul. Because trying to understand Trinity is really hard. How can, how can God be one God and yet exist in three different personalities or persons? And, and we're not teaching on the Trinity this morning, but it's an important orthodox Christian doctrine that God exists within three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is, do they believe humanity is lost? Will they use the term lost? Will they use the term unsaved? Will they use the term sin? Um, do they believe that man, woman needs to be saved, not just enabled or encouraged? Where is the cross? Where is the resurrection? Does Pentecost fit in here anyway? These are some of the things I would ask. Hey, do you ever hear about heaven? Do you ever hear about that other place? Hell. Is sin addressed? 
Is the scripture read? Is, is it revered? These are the things that you must begin to ask yourself. You can't go to church and just say, I went to worship and it had a great beat and I could dance to it. I could feel the buzz. Man, my heart, it just skipped a beat. Listen, you can go to concerts and all these things can happen, but that don't make it church. All right? Is it orthodox? Now, this is a big word. That's why I'm translating everything. But the next one, I would ask myself, you wouldn't probably use this word, but you would hopefully do this. Orthopraxy. And what that means is how does this church conduct itself? What are its practices? Are there any standards? Does it practice obedience? Disciple? Evangelize? Oh, here's one, tithe. Do you ever hear words like holiness, sanctification, consecration? I decided I ought to meddle just a little. Modesty. If you ever live near a, a church, like here in Charleston, it doesn't happen too much anymore. Years ago, it did happen. I always, I always chuckled. I said, whenever you pastor a church near the beach, people get confused as to whether they're at the beach or at church. It's really a remarkable thing. Because I know there's such similarities between the two, it's easy to be confused. But what are their practices? How does the church conduct itself? You begin to, is it, is it endeavoring to do the gospel? Is it, is it endeavoring to do some great commission activity? What is the church's orthopraxy? Number three, what is this church's origin? Again, I'm just asking these questions because if I'm going to entrust my soul and my spirit to some input, then I better be sure this pipeline is coming from a good direction. What is this church's origin? In other words, where did it come from and who is it connected to? Now, I've already mentioned in a previous lesson that America is the wild, wild west of religion. Uh, we in America, because of our freedoms, have the ability to worship absolutely anything we want. We can develop organizations that help facilitate the worship of anything we want. You can worship trees, you can worship animals, you can worship aliens. You can worship anything you want and you can actually solicit here in America those that would uh, follow you and those that would worship with you those particular things. So uh, America is just the wild, wild west of religious entrepreneurism. Anybody can start a church at any time they want. In fact, there are organizations out there that if you contact them and uh, you have enough money to join that particular organization and you can raise X amount of dollars, in fact, they call it church in a box. They'll give you a box and you can go out and get your church started and they'll give you all the paperwork you needed and you are off and running. And that's just America. Now, again, I think if you're living in a land of liberty, you're going to have to endure a little bit of the negative side of liberty. But the fact of the matter is we have the ability to ask ourselves the question, from whence did you come from? Who are you connected to? Because their connections can tell you a lot. Is it not true that your friends 
And who you hang out with and you call friend would tell me a lot about you. Who do you like hanging out with? If you like hanging out with thieves and robbers and murderers, what would that tell me about you? See, so see, birds of a feather, remember? Yeah, well, I, I mean, these, these, it's not Bible. I'm not quoting the Bible there, but there's, there's some truth to that. So you begin to find out if you're hanging out uh, where your origins are, you can tell a lot by knowing that. So what, what is their connection? Are they connected with anyone, whether it be formally or whether it be voluntarily or relationally? Who's the pastor connected to? Who, who does he fellowship with? Uh, is he isolated? Is the church presenting itself? This is one I wrote down here. Is the church presenting itself as the only work in the kingdom or does it relate to other churches and pastors? Isn't that interesting? I call that specialism. If people fall into the sin of specialism, uh, a lot of times that's a problem in that particular area. So where, where did this come from? Where did it originate? Uh, and uh, we'll get to a couple other things with regards to this. Number four is this. Is the church organic? The translation at this point is, is the church relational and can the Holy Spirit express himself freely? I think that's a very, very important question. A church can be attended by crowds or a church can be attended by the few. It has nothing to do with numbers. Do you know on the day of Pentecost, really what they call the birth of the church, 3,000 people instantly came into that church plant. So God has no problem with numbers. A few days later, 5,000 heads of household came into the church. So if you say just on average there were three to four people within every household, you're adding to the original 3,000. Uh, well, of course, you had 120 plus 3,000. You can add all this up. Then somewhere around 15,000 to 20,000 people within just a month or two come into the local church. How many of you know that's one big church? So there's nothing wrong with large. Nothing wrong at all. In fact, I would challenge some of you. I've heard this come out of people's mouths before. Some people say, well, I only want to go to a small church. Well, I can appreciate that because some of you have this need and you want to. And it's a right need to be relational, to know people. But the fact of the matter is in Acts 2.42 in that large church, there was a relational happening going on as they would meet together from house to house and break bread and do all the things that they did. There was still, even within that large capacity, there was still the ability to be relational or to find relationship. I've heard this and I believe it to be true. It doesn't matter what size church you go to, you're really going to only have a relational area of about seven to eight people. I believe that to be true. That that's who you'll cultivate your relationships with. So whether you're sitting with 50, 60, 100, 500, 5,000, you're only going to find probably seven, eight people that you'll have a relationship with. And the reason this is important is because for some, they have used this as their camouflage to not do the work of outreach and evangelism. Now, I understand legacy, legacy, we're not very large, but, but, and, 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 and some might want to see that larger and some are quite happy with the way it is. But I'm here to tell you that you can have relationship while you're still doing the gospel. And you need to get that into your system. Is it organic? It doesn't matter what the size is. You need to be able to say, well, you know, I know there's, there's several thousand people here, but this is my family. I can find friendships. 
You know, it, it, and the other thing here is, is it scripted. I, I think there ought to be just a little bit, and I'll get, I'll get to the order part here in just a minute, but there ought to be a little bit of, of ability to make sure the Holy Spirit can come in and do something outside of perhaps the design that I've made for the day, let's just say, and to be able to come in and drop a bomb on my order of service in order for him to express himself in a way that maybe we hadn't thought of, maybe something a little more spontaneous. And why would we let that happen? It's because it reminds us who's really in charge. All right? So that doesn't mean there's, there's anarchy, but it does mean that there's the ability for the Holy Spirit uh, to do what it is that he wants to do in the life of the people that he has drawn. Number five is this. Is the church in order? That would be the fifth question I would ask. Is the church in order? Or the translation to that is, is there a divine structure and authority? How many of you know at Corinth they had the gifts of the Spirit, they had, that God was working in the church of Corinth, but everything was totally and completely out of order. They messed everything up. They messed up their relationships. Uh, they messed up uh, their, their love feasts. They've messed up their communion. They messed up their structure. They, they, they messed everything up. And so God says to them in the midst of it, in the gifts chapter, he mentions this to them. He says that uh, God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. And so is there a divine structure and authority that exists in the life of that church? In other words, confusion and anarchy is not the Lord. Can you see spiritual authority? Are pastors, people, practicing spiritual disciplines? You know, in our church, and we are Pentecostal church, and we are a charismatic people, we believe in the present moving of the Holy Spirit. But the present moving of the Holy Spirit doesn't get you out of your disciplines. The present moving of the Holy Spirit allows you to certainly respond to whatever it is he is doing at that moment. But somehow that doesn't... See, this, this was, this was the great, one of the greatest... One of the greatest mistakes that we made was we didn't think we had to read the Bible anymore. We just wanted to get alone to hear from God or get a prophetic word from God. And we missed the scripture. If, if it's in the scripture, God's speaking it. And so we've got to understand that there's a discipline, that our prayer time is a discipline. And is a discipline being practiced? Is it being encouraged? Is there an order to this? I put down here, do they acknowledge Spiritual authority. Is, is there a unity that exists and understand that God delegates himself through authority? Do they acknowledge apostles and prophets? And even the fivefold ministry, which it says in Ephesians, will exist until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of Man, which comes to a mature person. And so we believe that apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are all still around. And so is there, is there this divine structure and authority? And is the church, does the church have an order to it all? Some people, it's amazing to me how some people resist order. They're anarchists. They're spiritual anarchists. And I'm telling you that order is good because order provides, it's just like for your kids. Your kids can't live in anarchy. In fact, kids love order. When you provide order and routine in a, child, in a child's life, you will find that those children will thrive, they will blossom, and they will bloom, and so it is in a church. That if there's an appropriate order, 
that exists in these things. Number six is this. Is the church ordained? How many of you have seen that I've been using alliteration here? Oh, everyone say, oh, he's using O's. Okay, ordained. Is the church ordained? What do I mean by the word ordained? I mean, how is the work appointed and established? I was looking this up, and there are some 20 different Hebrew and Greek words for the word ordained. Is that not amazing? 20 separate words for the word ordained. I'm just reading several here. One means to consecrate, which means to set yourself aside. Another means to designate. Another means to appoint. Another means to establish. Another to endorse. Another to authorize. So let's ask ourselves, is the church set apart? Has it been appointed? Who appointed it? Has it been established? Has it been endorsed? Has it been authorized? How was it set into place? Are there apostles and prophets in its history to establish a foundation? All of these things are important. Because again, I'll go back to the American bandstand illustration. It's not all about a good beat and can you dance to it. It's about whether or not this has been established under really the understanding of what God has said constitutes a church. Now, I'm all for, I'm all for contemporary music. I'm, I mean, I grew up in the days, again, when I grew up in church, we, the only instrument you had in church was a, a, <laughs> was a piano and an organ. And, and, and you were fortunate if you had one or the other. It was a big day if you could have them both. It was an even bigger day if the ones who were playing it could actually play it. Because let me tell you something, I've endured some hymns off pianos by people who had less than a year of piano lessons. That's tough. But I always remind myself, what did they do in the catacombs? They didn't have a synthesizer. They didn't have a guitar. They didn't have the lights. They didn't have all that we, we have today. So you can worship with a lot less than probably what we think we need to have in the era we're in. But I, I grew up in an era where the only thing that you had was, was just simple instruments. And, and you didn't bring drums into the church. If you had drums in the church, you'd done black slid. Those drums, those heathen drums, those rock bands have those drums. They beat those drums and they beat that carnal sound and you'll do things you just never knew you'd do. Now, that's silly. You read the Bible, and the Bible talks about clashing cymbals and lyres, and it talks about all the instruments being used to the glory of God. But, but the point I'm, I'm trying to make here is, is that, that we, we tend to evaluate superficially. Even people, there are even people that will look and say, well, you don't have, you don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have, you know. They didn't have, let me just tell you, they didn't have injection plastic playgrounds in the book of Acts. They didn't have cappuccino bars. Now, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. Honestly, I wish we did have an injection plastic playground. I, I mean, I would love to put one up. But that's not, that's, not, that's not the metric when you evaluate a church. You're not evaluating church based on, can I, can I send my kids somewhere where they can play? 
I'm, I tell you why I like that church. My kids love to go to that church because it has pinball machines and video games. And I'm just telling you, as a parent, you're a fool. Because you don't send them to school so they can learn video games. You don't send them to school because they got a pinball machine in the classroom. You don't send them to school. Well, and the tragic part in our current era is, is that we're teaching them a lot of things they don't need and they can't read, they can't write, and they can't do their arithmetic. But that's why we used to send them to school so they could function successfully in a culture. Nowadays, we're more concerned whether or not they know how to have safe sex, whether they know how to read a book that's in front of them and sign an employment page. And so we've got things all messed up. And so now we look at things thinking we need certain elements in order for it to be conducive to what we want. And that's my whole point. What does God want and what do we need? We get up and we go to the gathering in the church, not because it's, it's well, it can be fun. I, I think we've chuckled here a little this morning. We've laughed. I saw my wife laughing back there. And so thank you. Thank you for chuckling at your husband's. It's your husband's sense of humor, and I, it's okay to laugh a little and chuckle a little and have a good time and maybe even shed some tears and, and do all the things we do, but at the end of the day, it's not about all of that kind of stuff and having just fun. I like it. It's that I need it. This is what I need because God says this is what I need. You go to the doctor not because you are so good at Google MD. The worst thing you can do when you... When you have an issue, and I'm going to tell on my daughter, I love my daughter. I love my daughter. But anytime she has a symptom of any kind, she goes to Google MD. And the instant she goes to Google MD, she calls us up and is convinced she has some disease that's going to take her out. And we always are on the phone saying, honey, no, 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 you don't know. And we'll go to the doctor and the doctor will go, no, it's not that. You have a runny nose. You don't have some, you know, some desperate, you know, southern, South American, you know, <laughs> South American leech that grabbed hold of your legs somewhere in Lakeland. You know, I, that, is, that didn't happen. But that's... That's what we, we're th we want to evaluate based on what we want and not what God wants. You go to the doctor because you say to the doctor, I go to him because supposedly he knows what it is that you're supposed to be receiving. And I don't know about you, but it's not always fun when I go to the doctor. They poke on you. They look in areas that you really would rather know people look. I have to go to a doctor now where they have a nurse practitioner. My wife tells me all the time, she says, welcome to my world. I've gone to male doctors for all my life. Now you have to go to a female one. I'm going, that's a whole new experience for me. I had to have a conversation the other day. I said, listen, I, I, I'm happy for us to do the general stuff, but there are just some things I'm telling you, I'm going to want the guy in here. But the reason you go is because they know, not because it's fun, not because it's exhilarating. It, I mean, it's great when it happens that way, but you go because that's the house that God is working through. So where does this thing come from? I, you know, I'm not, again, we're not throwing stones. I'm going back. I'm not, just be discerning. Well, how, how was the pastor? Paul had to submit. Paul the apostle. Paul the apostle himself had to submit himself for years. 
in the house of Ananias before he was loosed to go lay hands on anyone. Where in the world? Now again, I love pastors. I minister to pastors. Just because you go to college somewhere doesn't make you a pastor. I'm not saying you have to go the route I went. I probably, I went to more school than a man ought to go to and had to be delivered from most of it. But I'm here to tell you, you need to at least ask yourself, where did you come from? Were you selling cars last week and did you get church in the box and now you're deciding to do this or not? It could be called of God. I'm not here to question the call. I am here to question whether or not you're at a place you're ready to be my doctor for my spirit. Because you're fixing to do something eternal. Is it not amazing to you that we will, we will spend more time asking questions as to who will do our hair? Isn't it true? I'm not going to let, ladies, I'm not going to let just anybody touch my hair. I'm really picky about mine too. No, I'm kidding. Well, my wife does my hair. That just tells you how picky I am. But isn't it true? We'll ask another woman, who does your hair? Are they good? I mean, I mean we, we want to know. Guys will do this with their car. They just don't want anybody doing their oil changing. I don't want just anybody getting under the hood of my car. We'll, we'll ask more questions concerning our hairdos, our cars. We will. We'll ask restaurants. But we won't ever exercise a lick of discernment when it comes to a local church. As long as I felt that buzz, I'm good. Yeah. You go to a hairdresser and all you feel is a buzz, you may not like what you look like. I was at, I was at, a, I was at a barber one time and I felt a buzz and that wasn't what I was looking for. So how is this appointed and how is this established? And then finally, number seven, and I think this is important, does the church practice ordinances? Believe it or not, not every church does. And that means our baptism and communion practiced. Now, obviously, some churches are larger and they have a greater influx of people, and so you'll see baptisms quite regularly. Communion ought to be practiced. These are the things that the Lord ordained because it connects us to the historic faith. We believe in the present moving of God, but the present moving of God is still connected to the historic faith. In other words, I'm not the first thing that's come along in the kingdom of God. There have been centuries of people that have walked before me as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And these are the practices that connect me not only to the present activity of the Lord, but it connects me to historic activity in the life of the church. So does this church practice ordinances? Now, I give you these seven things, not that there might not be a few more questions, because there well could be. Uh, if I went back to the first one, there, there should be a list of essentials. You should know what they essentially believe. Uh, there may be some other things that we could slide in here. But I tell you this simply because of this, because people usually choose not, not by Bible, or not by historic orthodoxy, but they choose by preference. What do I prefer? You know, I would, I would prefer a lot of things, I guess, if I, if, you know, 
I'd prefer a doctor that I could go to and just sit down and he'd say, what do you want? And, he'd, and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm having this problem. And he doesn't ever look at me. He just writes a script and he gives me a script and I get to go fill a prescription. Maybe I'd prefer that. But that might leave me sick. More than that, it might leave me in my trajectory to death. You know, I've been, I've been seeing uh, lately uh, Miss Merle. Merle's been in the hospital here recently. And uh, she's had some issues, internal issues that she's had to address. Well, she might have preferred to go to see a doctor and say, well, doctor, my, I hurt on this side. Well, I'll take care of that. Give you that, go take... And, and, and that's, that's our preference. Our preference is give me a pill because I don't want to be poked on. I don't want to be prodded. I don't want anybody cutting on me. I don't want any pain. I don't want to be laid up in a hospital room for any amount of time. I don't want it. It's inconvenient. I don't like it. It's, it's really not within my wheelhouse. I kind of got a handle. It's my life. And, and that's, how, that's how we perhaps would prefer it. But the fact of the matter is if Merle hadn't seen a doctor, if they hadn't have given her some tests, if they hadn't have drawn blood, if they hadn't have cut her open, if they hadn't have dealt with everything that was going on in her body, if they hadn't have taken away the thing they had to take away, if that wouldn't happen, Merle would be dying, if not dead. Why do we think something of eternal importance would take any less? Well, I don't like him. He just, he's too, he's a little tough at times. Well, maybe if you just go in and get the one that smiles at you and just writes a script and says here, and you'll go out and, and for a short time you'll feel better, but the end thereof is death. That's why this is important. And it's not just about preference, it's about God, are you in this? God, have you established this? God, are you leading this? It's both the subjective as well as the objective. And this is the part that America doesn't get because right now, America thinks, thinks it's spiritually okay when in fact all it's done has been to Broadway productions at times and they feel inspired, but we're still sick at the root. Will anybody even deign to debate with me that America is sick at its root? We are in the middle of chaos and anarchy. We are in the middle of, I, I believe, such perilous moments that it's going to maybe produce another civil war. And let me tell you something, when we won't get right with God, that's what God does. He allows war to come. And the whole time this is happening around us, we've got everybody saying, God bless America. Isn't God good? I believe, I believe in God. Something, something's not connecting. And we need to do our best to model what it is and help when those moments come because you're going to run into them. It's, it's statistically, it'll probably happen in your life. There's going to be a moment that you're going to say, I need to find where my house is, where my shelter is, where it is. That some good, important work can be done on my spirit and my soul. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please.